Good morning, everybody. We're uh, going through the book of James, um, and today we're talking about anger. Uh, as you know, James was written by a guy named James who was the brother of Jesus, but he didn't introduce himself that way. He introduced himself as a disciple and servant of Christ. And as he goes through, there are just a lot of really, really wonderful things about this book that we uncover as we dig in. Um, so today, this is going to be actually pretty short, a short passage. I'll try to keep the message itself short. Uh, but I just want to uh, read James 1, 19 through 21 as a starting point, and then we'll, we'll dig in. He says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Now, I apologize. I've actually been under the weather this week and my voice is just terrible. So I'm occasionally going to, you know, drink this, you know, very large container of water. To, so I'm not croaking at you the entire time. So just forgive me. Um... Now, can I tell you a story before we, we get started? I, I got to see John Williams conduct the Marine Band this week, which was just a treat for me. Um, most of you will know who John Williams is, but if you don't, he's probably one of the most famous composer-conductors of our generation. Um, he's one of the best conductors alive still, um, and he's written music you would be familiar with, even if you haven't heard his name. He actually wrote the theme for Star Wars, for... Raiders of the Lost Ark, the dun, 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 dun. he wrote the theme for Harry Potter. He wrote uh, the theme for Jurassic Park. He wrote stuff, I believe he did, a, uh, he's done a bunch of stuff, some lesser known stuff, Catch Me If You Can, um, some stuff that's a little heavier, Schindler's List. And if you remember the movie Lincoln, he did the score for that, which was an amazing score. Uh, but he's just a prolific writer of movie music and is just known and loved in, in our generation. And he actually conducted the Marine Band, but as he came out on stage, um, people didn't know he was coming. So I, I knew because, you know, Karen's in the band and she told me. But like most of the audience, you know, 1,500 people in this big uh, Royce Auditorium at UCLA, nobody knew John Williams was going to pop out onto stage. And so they did a couple of John Williams pieces and people were like, yeah, we love John Williams. And then like John Williams comes out to conduct a couple of his own pieces with the band and he came out and the room just erupted. They just went, holy cow, this is amazing. Standing ovation before he even got started. And, and so it just continued on and continued on. And finally, he's trying to shush the crowd. And so he gets the crowd going and he's, he's kind of, his personality is very sweet and he's very playful and he's very soft-spoken. And so as the crowd was, was tightening down, I was actually, eventually and I were actually in the front row. So I was as close to John Williams as I am to Luis right now. And, and as the crowd was quieting down, he's trying to shush him and he's being playful. And I laughed because I was delighted and amused by this. So, and as you know, my laugh can be very irritating. I kind of have a joker laugh sometimes. It's like, it just kind of rings out. And John Williams turned around and shushed me specifically. He's like, shh. And the crowd kind of tittered a little bit. And then, went, but I, I got shushed by John Williams. It's like, this is, now you got to understand. Being told to shut up, <laughs> not a new experience for me. I've, you know, it's like that happens quite often, but I've never been shushed by John Williams before. That's pretty good. I'm going to make a t-shirt. Got shushed by John Williams. Going to have a date, but I was just really happy about that. Um, the other thing you, ne you need to know <laughs> about this week is there's something that happens when you speak uh, from God's word on a particular topic. And wh what happens is, <laughs> I don't know how to describe it other than to just say it you kind of come under spiritual attack 
with whatever you're talking about, okay? So, so it is, it's highly, it's, it's incredibly ironic and Dwayne's like back there going, I thought I was the only one. Nope, you're not the only one. It happens to everybody who does this. And, and at some point, it, it, it hap- it's, it's so often and so frequent, it's, it actually becomes funny at some point because you're like going, really, really? really? And, and I think God allows us for a couple of reasons. One, um, if it's not something you struggle with, it's a nice reminder, right? So it's a little dose of humility going, yep, you're, oh yeah, I remember, I remember this is a thing. Okay, holy cow, you know. Um, but if it is something you struggle with, it's an even bigger dose of humility. And, and I am, not, I am uh, not one who has a complete handle on anger. I'm kind of, you know, I can kind of get spun up about stuff. I, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm not just, I wouldn't consider myself an angry person all the time, but I can stage a nutty with the best of them, you know, once or twice a year. And so, you know, just, just know that it's, it's very ironic and very interesting that, that I land on this one. Dwayne loves to do this to me. And Dwayne, who's actually really, really good in this particular space. So it's like, let's let E take this message because, so this week, now how this, how this plays out in my life in terms of I'm going to get pummeled by anger, right? How this happens in my life is let's see how many irritating things can happen to E before he absolutely snaps and goes Yosemite Sam. You know, it's like he's throwing down his hat and the biscuits are burning and the whole thing. It's like, let's see how many things. So I, I fly out to see Karen and John Williams in, in San Diego. John Williams is actually doing a thing in LA. So we decided to drive up and it's like, oh, okay, well, it's not too bad. It's like two hours from San Diego to LA. Ha, 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 ha. Six and a half hours later on I-5. I, and I, you know, in which I'm, I'm spinning up into a slow boy. <laughs> I'm just going, I'm, we got up at four o'clock in the morning to fly out. And like, oh, it's six hours. I'm like, oh. So we get to the hotel room and I, I don't know where this place is, but I've got it on my phone. My phone dies. So I'm trying to charge the phone in the hotel room and like there's no outlet that will charge the phone. It's like this weird, I'm in the hinterland somehow in, in the middle of LA that I can't get an outlet to charge the phone. So I'm trying to figure out, we're getting a laptop and we're plugging it in and we're trying to figure out where this place is and trying to get to the thing. The the actual concert was less than a mile away. We should have just walked it. It took us 45 minutes to get to <laughs> the concert that was a mile away. And so at this point, I'm super happy. Super, super happy. Okay, so then we get to see John, and I get shushed by John Williams. That's a thing. It's like, come on. Um, on the way back, <laughs> what else happened? Oh, we rented a car. We go to the Aquarium of the Pacific, and Evangeline's taking pictures of the jellyfish, and it's really great. We come out. Somebody keyed my rental car. I have flown 300,000 miles in my life. I bet I've rented 100 cars. Nothing has ever happened to any one of them. And like the guy come out and the guy's like on the door. And just to, just to make it better, door gets up into the quarter panel and then comes back the door onto the back quarter panel. I'm like, really, dude? Really? It's like Dante is a special place in Inferno for you. It's like, this is called complex fraud. It's evil for evil's sake. He's not getting anything from this. It's like, it, you know, this, this is not good. So I'm like, you know, going, really? <laughs> okay, okay, come on. Um, on the flight back, we get delayed in Charlotte for three hours. And, and I'm going, okay, fine, whatever. You know, at this point, I'm just like, just, is this, this how it's going to be? Fine, fine, you know. But then, this is the actual thing that happened. Evangeline and I are sitting there uh, looking at our phones, and, and at this point, we're kind of zombied out because we've been traveling for 10 hours, and like we're, just, we're all done, and we're, like, we're just sitting there, you know, looking off into space. Security comes up to me and says, I'm sorry, sir, can you, can you come with me for a minute? I'm like, okay, and he's got a couple of guys with him. <laughs> I'm going, okay, what, what's going on? 
And he says, come with me. So he, he literally drags me over a short distance away and I'm, I still got outside of him. And he says, several people have reported that this young lady, is she traveling with you? And I'm like, yeah. And he says, well, do you have a relationship? What is her relationship? She's my daughter. So, well, several people have reported that you were yelling at her and just being abusive, generally abusive. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? And, and like, but this isn't a joke. This isn't an elaborate project. This is actually a guy from, you know, and, and I'm just going, okay, I'm pretty sure I haven't raised my voice to anybody. I have laryngitis and I can't actually speak. <laughs> okay, you know, it's like, I couldn't, like if you gave me a thousand dollars and offered to pay for a college, I couldn't yell at her right now. It's like, it's just, it's not, it, and the guy's going, oh, oh, okay. I'm like, but you know what? She's a precocious 10 year old. She's right there. Why don't you ask her? <laughs> if I go talk, to, like I'm trying to imagine what could have been misunderstood. We hadn't said five words. We were just walked up to the thing. We got delayed. We sat down. I, I, we hadn't spoken. I don't know. You know, it's like I hadn't spoken above a whisper. And, and so he talks to Evangeline. So, you know, has this man, who's this, who's this guy? Well, that's my dad. And she's looking at him like, what's wrong with you? And then he says, has he, has he, did he, was he yelling at you? She's like, no. And, and then she said, he'll get upset sometimes, but I don't know that he's ever really yelled at me. And then like the conversation in her mind is she's done. She's all done with this and she's back on her phone. You know? <laughs> and, like, and the guy's just going, okay. No idea why people are accusing me of child abuse in the Charlotte hotel, you know, in the airport, but okay. But this is the thing, you know, and I'm, and I'm just going, this is weird. And these broad guys with him and they're armed and I'm, you know, I'm going, okay. But as I'm thinking about this, this is the thing. I got angry. <laughs> you know what? You want to mess with me? You want to, you want to stick me in traffic? You want to delay my flight? That's fine. You want to not charge my phone? Giddy up. You're going to accuse me of abusing Evangeline? Okay, now it's on. Like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm starting to get fired up in my head. It's like, okay, you know what? Falsely accusing somebody of something is a crime. Maybe we should get the police involved. Maybe I could get these people to miss their flight. <laughs> then it's like, okay, okay. So to speak, quick to anger, James. I'm actually talking about anger tomorrow. This, you know, settle down, settle down. So, you know, all this was inside my head. I wasn't actually yelling at anybody. Although if I could find out who did that, I would happily yell at them for some amount of time. <sighs> okay, so I've had quite the week, you guys. <laughs> so it's like, it's been, it's been great. So, uh, I just want to go through this really quickly, and, and let's talk about this, but just know that, I, that I'm not speaking from the pinnacle of wisdom experience. I'm separating myself out from this with humility and just trying to share with you God's Word and trying to do that in a way that is both vulnerable and helpful. Um, I've told this story before, and I'll, I'll be quick, but it, it's germane to what we're talking about. When Evangeline was born, Karen actually got an infection from the cesarean section that she did. Um, had a couple of days. She went, we took her home. She spiked a fever immediately. So literally we got home and within an hour taking her back to the hospital. Um, she had a really bad fever. We gave her antibiotics. We did a thing. Everything looked like it was okay. And then, you know, the doctor came in and said, okay, we need to close the area of the cesarean. There are basically three ways to do this. You can do a primary closure, which is stitches. You can do a thing where they pack it with gauze and medicine, or they have a new a surgical technique called a wound vac, which actually puts a, a slight amount of pressure on the wound, but is really good for pulling out any infection or any problems, and that's the new thing, and it's, it's pretty cool. So the doctor, who's the head of the department, is telling us, these are your three options. You guys pick one. Medically, they're about the same. There's really not a ton of difference. He leaves. So we're like, okay. I'm, I'm driving home, or I'm going to take care of Evangeline and coordinate things, and for some reason, I really felt very strongly that we needed to do the primary closure of, of stitches. 
And, you know, being, having gone to public school and having an English degree, I don't know a lot about medical stuff, obviously, but I just felt really strongly about that. And I called Karen and said, hey, we should really think about uh, the stitches option. And she said, okay, whatever. Well, I come, I come back to the hospital and one of the doctors that was with the guy, not the main head of the department, but another doctor comes in and puts the hard sell on us for the wound vac and says, listen, the wound vac is better. It's better in every way. It'll prevent a problem. You really, really need to do the wound vac. And, and for some reason, I, I didn't say a word, but I'm literally chewing the enamel off of my teeth. I'm really, really super upset about this, and I don't really know why. But I'm, I'm sitting there in the corner just stewing, just boiling. Um, so she does her thing. She does her thing. And so she leaves. And so Karen's like, okay, so let's do the wound vac. It sounds like a good thing. And I'm like, no. Listen, you know, we need, I don't understand what we need to do. I really feel strongly about this. We really need to think about the primary closure. Listen, it's your body. It's ultimately your call. I really feel strongly about this. And you got to understand, I got really aggressive. I mean, like beyond what I should have gone. I was really kind of mean about it. Vine, don't listen to me. You know, it's like that kind of thing. Um, and, and at some point in the interaction, Karen says this. She says this, being the wise and amazing woman that she is. She goes, do you think God is telling you we should do this? Inside my head, I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what's going on. That is exactly what's happening. But, you know, I'm like, well, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to say I'm speaking for God, you know, and I kind of soft felt like, maybe, but I don't, you know. And she goes, yeah, that's what's going on. And so she calls the lady back in and says, I appreciate your concern. We're going to do the, the primary closure. We're going to do stitches. And the woman's just like looking at her and she leaves. The next day, they scheduled the minor surgery to close her up. When they do that, they, they kind of push on the wound to make sure everything's okay. It opened up. Her entire chest cavity had been filled with infection. The only reason she hadn't already gone septic was it had created a rind around the inner area, but literally her entire chest cavity was filled with infection. So at that point, they're like, holy cow, panic mode. You know, the doctors are in there. They started the strongest antibiotic possible. They're, they're literally pulling stuff out with their hands. They ran her bowels. I mean, it, this became a thing very quickly. So I didn't know any of this was going on. It's supposed to be a 15-minute procedure. Two hours later, I'm going, hello. You know, it's like, what's, what's going on? The head of the department comes in, and I've never seen a doctor do this. He comes in, he sits down, and puts his head in his hands like this. And he goes, um, I'm so glad that you guys picked this particular thing because if you hadn't, your wife probably would have died. <laughs> and so I'm going, okay, interesting to note. Now, my atheist friend at this point, and Karen recovered and she's fine, a couple units of blood, and she, you know, but it was a thing, but she, she, she recovered very well, she's fine. Um, my atheist friend at this point would say, well, that's a good story, Eve, but why didn't God just prevent the infection? I'm like, shut up. Just stop talking. <laughs> you know, it's, like, it's actually a good question. It's actually a good question. And if you think about it for a minute, well, there are a couple things that happened. One is uh, <laughs> several of us learned, learned something through the process, right? And God is more concerned with what we learn along the way sometimes than the thing that's happening at hand. And I learned that I need to back up and be nice. I mean, I, I got, I, I mishandled the, the interaction with Karen badly. I really did. Even though I was right, even though God was leading me, was leading me in a life-saving thing, which is why I felt so strongly about it, even though I didn't know all the things, God was literally pushing me to push her in something that was actually life-threatening. Um, but I could have been nicer about it. You can be firm and still be kind. You don't have to be mean to be correct. And you can still, 
you know, you, you can still take, take a stand and still be strong without being unkind, without being mean. And I, I really stepped over the line. Uh, for Karen, it really changed the nature of, of, our, of our dynamic. I mean, this wasn't early in our relationship, but we weren't as far along as we are now. And, and she, whenever I say, hey, I really think that her ears perk up immediately. And it saved us a lot of trouble. <laughs> and I can do the same thing for her. There's just a level of trust there that wasn't there before. Um, for the doctor that was pushing for the wound back, obviously was, you know, the star pupil, <laughs> you know, the, the hard charging type A, get her done. You know what? If we had followed her advice, it would have killed the patient. Maybe, <laughs> maybe God was working in her to take her down a notch, to inject a little bit of humility into a life filled with achievement and pride. And, and if she could get that lesson, might take her from good to great. You know, if she can, if she can understand that I don't know everything, <laughs> you know, and sometimes I need to walk softly, it might be a good, a good lesson for her. So the lesson here related to this is, is actually not me, but it's on Karen's side. Karen was quick to hear. She was slow to speak and she was slow to anger. Imagine what would have happened if when I kind of lashed out at her a little bit, she had just gotten defensive and lashed back. Would have been bad. It might, it might have ended her life. You know, it's like it would have been, would not have been good. Instead, she was able to see beyond the presentation of what I was saying to the thing that I was saying and to the thing that God was doing because she was quick to hear. She was slow to speak. She was slow to anger. She checked her own response and man, it was a good result. She is absolutely the hero of the story. So the first thing, the first thing I want to pull from this passage is this. It's listen to understand, not to be understood. If you've been in the corporate world for more than about 15 minutes, you've met this guy. Never has a conversation at all without having an agenda with the conversation. Have you ever met that person, right? Those people make me absolutely crazy. I do not want to be that guy. I had that boss a couple of times and they made me nuts. They don't care what you have to say. They don't care what you're talking about. They don't care who you are or what you know or what you're doing. They're waiting for you to stop talking so they can inject their opinion into the thing, which has nothing to do with what you're talking about at all. They only listen with an agenda. And, and there's a reciprocity to listening. If you want to be heard, listen. <laughs> listen well. And if we can really do that, then people will return the favor and listen to you. This is important in our relationships. This is important when I deal with Evangeline. Right now, she's laser focused on stuff that, let, can I be honest, I don't care very much about, little girl stuff. I mean, I'm not a 10-year-old girl. And like the stuff that's really big in her world right now, not super interesting to me. But you know what? I need to dial in. I need to, I need to go, okay, what are you doing? Well, tell me about it. Help me understand it. And, and I really need to listen. Why? Because when she's 15, I really need her to listen to me. <laughs> you know, there's going to be some things that I know that she needs to hear. But if I don't listen to her and if I close that bridge, she's not going to be able to listen to me later. So it's really important that we listen to understand, not just to be understood. So that's the first thing. Second thing is this. Be slow to speak. Um, just like we see on Facebook and social media, people don't really engage until they really understand the issue. They don't just jump in immediately and, you know, start spouting off. We need to be just like that. <laughs> just kidding. We, we need to be slow to speak. Not like the internet trolls. We need to put that stuff aside. We need to be, be consider, think before we, we 
talk, we don't have to engage on every single thing. Sometimes it's okay just to let it, to let it lie. Um, I have a master's degree in philosophy, which I've got to tell you uh, is, is bad for the slow to speak option <laughs> because you're constantly thinking, you're evaluating, and you kind of have some training in how to talk and argue. Not always good for the, the slow to speak, uh, <laughs> the slow to speak thing. So listen, under, listen, understand not to be understood. Be slow to speak. And this is important because how many times, um, <laughs> I saw a lady at, at Callis named Benet Brown, and as much as I would like to pitch her off a cliff, I just, that's just me, uh, she's absolutely correct in one of the things that she's talking about. She has, a lot of, she has a lot of good stuff. But one of the things she talks about often is she'll get angry or upset based on a misunderstanding and not really having all the facts or all the motives or the intent. And she'll read something into a situation that's not necessarily there. Uh, a lot of us will do that. How many times do we get angry or upset simply because we're reading the situation incorrectly, right? The eating grandma thing, right? So it's like, you know, we need the comma for context. We don't always get it. And sometimes we'll respond to something that's not actually there. This is why we need to be quick to hear, slow to speak. Understand what's really going on before we go off in anger. Excuse me. <coughs> Pardon me. All right. So James one twenty one says this. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. It's the cycle of runaway anger. We close off. We stop listening. We're quick to assume. We're quick to speak and respond. We're quick to be defensive. We're quick to lash out. The result, bad things, right? Filthiness, rampant wickedness. If you want to talk about a cycle of abuse, it's never, ever <laughs> quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. It's when we start breaking that, when we start breaking those things, that's when cycles of abuse start happening. And we need to understand this, that meekness is not weakness, it's strength actually harnessed for service. Jesus said that the meek will inherit the earth. And one of the things that I love about the book of James, and I just want to share this with you, and I'll try to move fast. Um, James has these little, in, in gaming, they call it Easter eggs. They're little things that you won't necessarily notice, but you go, wait a minute. And you kind of dig in, and there's something really, really cool there that leads you to uh, a, a greater understanding of what's going on. So he's actually talking about anger, and he drags in meekness, and I think what he's doing is I think he's referring to Moses here. I think he's referring to Moses. Um, he, he says the meek will inherit the earth, but these little tie-in that he takes us back to the Old Testament in surprising ways. So let me, let me just make the, make the connection for you. In Numbers 12, it says this. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all who were on the face of the earth. But Moses was also very angry. <laughs> and we forget this about Moses, but it was actually a really key part of his story. In Exodus 2, this is what, what got him going. He was a prince in the court of Egypt. He had been adopted into the royal family. He had position and training, and he was part of the royal court. And then, <laughs> surprisingly, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people because he knew that he was Jewish. He looked on their burdens 
and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. He was a prince. He was also Hebrew. He saw something unjust, and he responded not in kindness, right? He responded in anger, and he murdered this dude. He literally straight up killed him. Then he spent 40 years as a shepherd while God worked on him. And it wasn't until after all of this stuff that he encountered the burning bush and became, you know, Moses, the seven-foot-tall guy with the eyes and glowing and, you know, the tablets uh, from the mountain. So as he becomes Moses, he leads the people out of Israel. They're on this journey. At some point in the wilderness, this happens. It's in Numbers chapter 20. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. This is the people of Israel. They're you know, having trouble with Moses and Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is, a pla- it is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates. There is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and they fell on their faces in prayer. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them, and the Lord said to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron your brother, and tell the rock, speak to the rock, tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and the cattle. And Moses took the staff before the Lord as he commanded him. Now watch this. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Here now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and he struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank in their livestock. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. And when they came to the the promised land, God took Moses up onto a mountain and let him see it, but he didn't actually let Moses lead people into the promised land. He let that chapter fall to Joshua, but it was a result kind of of this disobedience. It it took him off that track. Now, like like most of us, there are almost two people, (laughs) two paths in Moses' head, right? One path was his own, right? It leads to anger. It tries to fix things himself. He's going to respond. Um, the other Moses, right, is lined up with God. It's acting in the opposite spirit. It's praying. It's, it's warning Pharaoh and imploring him to do what's right, but it's really not trying to control him or attack him directly. He's praying for mercy for the nation of Israel over and over and over. But then there's this Moses over here that sees injustice and buries the Egyptian in the sand, right? There's two Moseses, right? And so Moses over here saying water from the rock and God's instructing him and Moses steps over into this Moses and says, you rebels, you dirtbags, she'll like, you know, what's wrong with you? And starts hitting stuff with his staff. And, and he's, it's, it, Moses needs to not participate in anger because <laughs> that anger does not produce the righteousness of God. It's the other thing that we need to go. Slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to hear. And we see Moses struggling with this. And we see Moses just like we do. But we also see Moses dialed in with weakness, right? 
it seems harsh, but it's a thing that we need to understand that anger can actually separate us from the path. It can actually off track us from where God wants us to go and what God wants to do. So what do we do? Four very quick things. First thing is this, be angry like Jesus was angry, right? Ephesians says, be angry, but don't sin. We see Jesus in the temple. He went absolutely ballistic. He's turning over tables. He makes a whip. He's chasing people around. But why did he do that? He was actually, uh, there, there were places, there, there were sacrifices being made to God in, in the old Jewish law. There were places in the temple and there were vendors who would actually sell animals to be sacrificed. What they were doing was the very poor, poorest of the people had, had provision made. You know, to do a lamb, you can actually do a dove, right? And so these vendors were actually selling doves and that kind of thing to the poor at really outrageous prices. <laughs> they were actually being predatory towards the poor as they're trying to honor God. Jesus responded to that with anger. <laughs> Because righteous anger is a thing. It is powerful. It's normally involved with injustice for other people. It motivates us to respond, to protect, to correct, to change things in a way that is pleasing to God. It's normally not about ourselves. Second thing is this. If you struggle with anger issues like Moses, like me in the Charlotte airport, stop justifying it, hit it head on, <laughs> right? Take a play from Moses and from James, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, and you too can be a person of meekness like Moses was for most of his life. Be angry like Jesus was angry. Struggle with anger, hit it head on. The third thing is this. Understand that if you have a disproportionate response in anger or if someone around you just absolutely goes ballistic over a little thing, it's probably tied to something else, <laughs> right? It's probably not about the thing at the moment. It's probably about a deep wounding that they had probably in childhood, maybe related to their parents or something that happened. They made it, something happened. They made a decision as a five-year-old. I am never going to let that thing happen to me again. And you've tied into that thing. You've got to understand when someone just, something little happens and people just, they absolutely go nuts. They just go ballistic. Don't, don't, don't wall them off. Don't put them in a straitjacket. Understand that this is an opportunity to understand what's going on. And if you can address it in a healthy way after they kind of come down off the ledge, this is a huge opportunity for healing. And it looks like this. Hey, are you able to talk about, yeah, I'm sorry, I was, you know, I was out of control, whatever. Did that remind you of, of something that happened to you when you were a kid? You know what? It did. When I was a little kid, this thing happened. And, and man, it, it felt just like that. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, what the, that's where the anger was coming from. It was coming from this deep place from when we were children, not from the thing that was at hand. It's a huge opportunity for healing. Fourth thing is this. Find meekness and gentleness with God in your closest relationships. The people that we love and trust and that are the closest to us are the ones that normally get the biggest brunt of our anger when we express it. Don't just do that. Find meekness and find gentleness. Find forgiveness. <laughs> And, and let those people be the people that you process through the little kid things with anger. Let those people process through those things with, with prayer that you can talk honestly with them. And uh, it's a great way to engage issues of anger. So slow to speak, quick to hear, slow to anger. Uh, let's pray. And then I, I think Jen's going to come up and, and uh, talk to us a little bit about our congregational meeting. Father, we just thank you for everything that you've done. Help us.